Hi and hello watch fans. Welcome to the real time show. I'm your friendly neighborhood jeweler. This time the friendly neighborhood watchmaker Rob Nuds can join because we're actually simultaneously recording episodes. Things are picking up for the real time show. So we decided to split up for today, not as a team. I'm very honored and happy to have on the show, and I'm proud to call it my friend, Niels Echerding, the CEO of the Frederick Constant Group, which the name says it all. It's the amazing brand, Frederick Constant in Genève, Alpina, and Atelier de Monaco. Niels, welcome. Thank you, Alon. I'm happy to be here. I am happy to have you on the show. And since you are an amazing, laid-back, cool, and fun guy, I'm going to dive in immediately. What the heck is a Dutchman doing in Switzerland, running not one, but three amazing watch brands? Well, I'm still wondering myself after 11 years. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, I listen, uh, passion. It's all about passion, working with great people, great team around me. And indeed, having the honor of presenting those three brands is, of course, for me, only honor. So... Um, uh, after 11 years, I can say I, I'm doubting to go back to Holland, and I'm very happy with living here. Uh, I'm living just across the border in France uh, with my family and managing a great company that only has growth potential. Amazing. So I want to touch upon all brands briefly today, but I know you have an amazing team, which one of them runs Alpina and one does Atelier de Monaco. But before we do so, and obviously we're going to talk in depth about Frédéric Constant. I would love to hear your journey for our listeners, how you evolved out of the Netherlands in the watch industry, into Switzerland, and 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 your journey within the Frederik Constant please. So that's a long time ago already. So uh, I started as an internship in Holland, actually in in Den Bosch, Bosch. It's a small village, a very beautiful village, where uh, the internship was uh, done by World Time Holland. It was a distributor company for uh, brands like, uh, in that time, Bali, uh, Camel Watches, Zenit, and Frederic Constant. And they were uh, under the umbrella of Kabel Turlings. That was a gold company. And they were specified in watch distribution brands. And I did an internship there. After the internship, I went back to school, finished my school. And I started to work back for that the distribution company as a sales representative. From there, my passion for watches was born. Uh, I moved on. I was attracted by Swatch Group. Uh, worked for Swatch Group for 11 years. And then uh, did several jobs within Swatch Group, several brands. Learned how to do things, how not to do things, honestly. Uh, because we all know the group. And then uh, at Basel, I remember back in 2011, I ran into Peter Naleta Stas. And there, uh, a new chapter started for me. I learned, I, I get to know to a beautiful couple that has an amazing passion for watchmaking. Uh, they built their own brand from scratch. Not many people did that. And uh, we talked for 20 minutes. And directly, I was attracted by the passion and vision they had. A few months later, they called me back. And they asked me, uh, Niels, we'd like to have a discussion with you. And maybe to have a potential job for you in Geneva. 
And I remember they were calling me in the car driving back from Austria ski holiday with my wife. And my wife knew if I would have the opportunity to go to Switzerland for a job, I would definitely consider it. And she was in the car at the car kit and Peter Stas called me and explained me this. And she turned white because she knew like, shit, now it's going to be difficult to say no. And it took us like a few months, uh, back and forth, Geneva discussions. And I decided with my family, we decided actually to move over. Big, de- big decision, I have to say. I was hired uh, early stage to really develop the business, growth the number of point of sales and, and, and restructure the organization much more next to Peter, eh, below Peter and Aletta Stas with the Dutch mentality. And that went on for a couple of years. We grow significantly, double-digit growth in the beginning constantly until uh, Peter and Aletta Stas really came to the point, hey, we don't have a succession within our kids. Uh, we want to go back to Holland. We have several options to sell the company. And that was back in 2016 where Citizen came across. Citizen Watch Company in Japan, stock listed company. After 16, the open announcement we did about the takeover in 17 and 18, the discussion took place about the replacement of Peter and Aletta. They wanted to go back, but they wanted to have a succession that followed their DNA. And the approval of Tokyo took two years. And back in 2018, late 2018, I've been appointed. Early 2018, sorry. I've been appointed to take over the top management role for the company. And here I am. Now, it's, it's, it's a long explanation, but at least you have a bit of an explanation about my role. The longer, the better. Our listeners love these, these, these stories, these journeys, and these experiences. So please do keep rolling like that. It's an amazing story, actually, how it all evolved. For me, it's a rhetorical question, but for our listeners, it might not be. So you said the Dutch way. A, what is that? And B, how is that Dutch way perceived and received in Switzerland? The Dutch way, I think our way in Holland, back, I'm, I'm talking back 11 years ago. It might have changed now because I'm not up to date about uh, the latest management styles there, but we are very down to earth in the way we manage. We are in between people. We are part of the teams. Less hierarchy, less autoritaire. Um, what? Engage very easy with teams. You're equal, but you are taking decisions, but you really engage with the teams. And uh, that's really, for me, the Dutch style. So very entrepreneurial, very handsome, very business-driven, but really with the team together. That was, that is still today very unique, the culture we have been creating here. How is perceived in Switzerland, <laughs> where hierarchy is really leading, autoritaire, you have a boss, you decide, you have management levels, you have people below, people below just cannot just come into your office. They look at us as a bit of a strange company. Although I think in the time we are living today, it's perceived very positive, this style, because young people, generation Y said, coming into more the work climate, and they want to have a voice, and they want to be part of a team, and they want to count. And I think that's today our benefit, that culture. And the Swiss has to have to adapt to this, because if they don't, you will not attract the people that you need, and you push away the people that you want to keep. 
So I think it's a benefit for us. And I still, uh, it's still perceived as a bit of a rejection in Switzerland because it's not, it's not like the culture, but it's coming in. It's coming there. Amazing. And I know you for over two decades and I can concur that this is really your MO, your modus operandi. This is how you operate and roll, how you work. Um, and, and the beauty of it is I can hold up a mirror that after these two decades, you're as nice, down to earth and friendly as when you were, when you started in this industry. Um, and I had the honor also to, to hang out with you in your manufacture in Planet Geneva next to the, the real big boys. And, 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 and you really operate this way. Your door is literally open. People uh, flood in and out your team members into your office. You're very hands-on and very accessible. So that's super cool. Going from this Dutch style to being in Switzerland already for over a decade and now for five years working with a Japanese mother company, which is publicly listed. How's that and how much influence do they actually have and how, many, how much autonomy do you guys have? Yeah, it's, it has been a bumpy road uh, the past six years. It's now, uh, let's say, 2016 when we have uh, announced the official takeover. We are now in 23, so it's already like seven years ahead. And if you go back to the successful family companies that have been taken over by larger companies, the success rate is very low. That means that many takeovers failing. And we felt it also. It's much more a culture clash where it comes in, where the know-how very often is leaving the company. And from there, it's mostly going downwards with companies. Now, we prepared the takeover by, uh, let's say, a plan where key people in that time in the company should stay for three and five years, including Peter Naleta Stas. Back, looking back now, that has been a clear succession, a succession of let's say, a plan that uh, helped succeed going through a very difficult time. Bring two cultures together, a low-end, volume-driven product, uh, leading by Citizen, taking over a luxury brand. And from there, they had to learn how to sell luxury. Although we are not like a tech or an AP, we are still versus Citizen, a very luxurious product. And there you clearly see uh, that it had some, some difficulties. But by engaging with people to stay longer, you have been bridging a very difficult period. Now, Citizen has like 120 entities. They do uh, more than 4 billion revenue, stock listed. They, they report to the board, external board even. So, but their aim is to keep their companies, the entities, pretty independent. With that, you keep also a more independent culture alive. And I think that's the that's the, that's the beauty of the Japanese culture. They are very respected. And they have a very deep culture uh, where they also want respect. But the moment you find that mutual respect, you really can build. And this I've been learning also the past years. So we report two times a year to a board, an external board, the numbers. As long as these numbers are expecting to reach the budget and you reach that, you really can build a strong, solid base for future growth. And uh, we are coming to the point now where we came out of crisis. It has been very difficult. We aligned also the internal people, external customer, the Citizen affiliates. They are based in America, 
Japan, UK, Italy, and they have a much better understanding how to operate with our uh, support. And now I feel only after seven years that we are becoming into a, sta a stage where the growth is unlimited. So I'm very positive that we have been managing the past years, uh, but much more positive that we have been setting the company together with the mother company in Japan for success. That's amazing. So basically, they operate like a literal financial holding. Uh, yeah. That's how you can say it. Of course, it's a large company, so it's very financially driven. But there's also a lot of a lot of strategy, a lot of watchmaking behind. No, but I mean, I mean, in the sense that y they don't meddle in your operation, your strategy vision. You guys are literally a standalone subsidiary. Yeah, they don't push for vertical integration. Um, I, I guess they're in in watchmaking. They're hardly Japanese influences in the three brands you run. Is that correct? Yeah, no, yeah, it's correct, but they still do. Say it's not that they keep you fully alone. Mm -hmm. We have here a chairman who's responsible for the whole Swiss entity, so they have also Lejeune Paré, where they produce movements. They have Arnold and Son, Anxious, so they have a few brands now. They have a foot clearly in the Swiss industry, um, but they are they are humble enough to let it over to the Swiss in this particular sense. I'm not Swiss, but I'm leading the talk. But they have regular discussions about the strategy. Because of course, if you want to bring the success of two companies in Switzerland together, you need to strategize that. But they do it in a very respectful, respectful way, I have to say. And it, I, I really appreciate the way they do that. They engage with you. They ask you. They ask you to make plans. They check in with you. I have to say, I've learned uh, that uh, this way is for me by far the best way. Interesting. A very interesting case study. Now, what I want to talk about is why I'm in awe of Frédéric Constant. It's a relatively young brand. It's with Dutch, made in Switzerland, still Dutch, running the show. So it's an eclectic bunch. But you guys created an amazing array of calibers. And if I remember correctly, it's 30 calibers. Yeah, sure. Swiss made, designed in-house, produced in-house in Switzerland, Swiss made. So walk me through that journey, please. So from the inception of the brand and, and, and even shed a light on what the name means. Why is it called Frédéric Constant? Yeah. And, and how you got to producing your own calibers, because that's a big feat for you guys. So Frédéric Constant, the name comes from the grand-grandfather parents, let's say, from both Peter and Anastas. So even if the grand grandfather of Peter was working in the Swiss industry, making dials, and they both had a very strong passion to make watches with the look and feel of But in that time, and back in 88, late 80s, it didn't exist accessible. So they started their journey by making on the kitchen table watches that had I look and feel, but were meant to be more accessible in price for a large audience. Traveling from Hong Kong at that time, they were expatriate. Back to Switzerland, going on ski holiday, they constantly looked at the retail here, the jewel, uh, jewelry, watch, watch stores, and they've seen all those brands and they were constantly attracted by creating, creating that beautiful high-end piece. That went live a few years later to a Hong Kong fair trade, let's say a fair show where they presented the watches. And at that time, 
it, 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 it started really very successful because the first Japanese company, Japanese, they bought like a full set of samples and they said, listen, we would like to have like three, 300 pieces. It took them a full year to produce those watches. They shipped the watches after one year and the Japanese company sold it in a few weeks. And then they reordered a few thousand. For them, that was the confirmation, hey, we have something. That's how the brand started. Then I make a jump because we all know, and as watch connoisseurs, the heavy pressure here in Switzerland, the, the, the movements is that the Swatch Group is basically owning the ETA, is owning ETA movements supply. And uh, it became clear that it might be a threat for independent watch brands to rely on those supplies. So Peter started back in 2000 to create his own manufacturing movement that was mainly driven by keeping it independent, but also has unlimited growth potential. You have not limitations by purchases and also design. So he wanted to create his own manufacturer, basically to create growth, to create a unique design and differentiate versus the competition. That what resulted in 2004 in the first in-house manufacturer caliber. And then back in that time, it was an open heart version. We have at six o'clock, the open heart. That really is the DNA driven dial design that different shades on, on the six o'clock. That's a money for true caliber. If it's on 12 o'clock, it's a uh, silly move. So we have been further developing that manufacture into a tourbillon, perpetual calendar. And we have basically, if you jump now to today, three main conceptions. We have 30 in-house movements, but we have three main conceptions. We have the 700. It returns into a moon phase, a world timer. We have all the complications there. Also the perpetual calendar. That's the main base. Then the second one is the 900 series. That's the tourbillon. Perpetual calendar tourbillon, clean tourbillon. And we have the 800. That's the latest development that we have been doing together with the Dutch the Flexus. That's the 800. That's the monolith where we replace fully the assortment, the beating heart of the movement by a single, single disc possible. Those three calibers today results in 30, and even this year we're going to launch another uh, new movement, 30, uh, 30 in-house movements. What helps us to be still the only one who are capable of doing large scale production with our own movements. There's no brand. There are a few brands now coming in, but there's hardly any Swiss brand who's capable of doing it in the scale we are doing and keeping the price so accessible. That's mind boggling if you think about it. And you guys don't stop there because Atelier de Monaco makes their own calibers. Alpina has calibers. And I, I guess the most recent one I fell in love with was the bumper automatic you guys revived. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So, so where does that drive come from? Where does that creativity come from? I mean, you do volumes. Can you speak about how many calibers and watches you guys make or is that sorry sorry to say that but that's confidential because we are no that's okay that's okay i totally understand because you're publicly listed so i i totally understand but but you guys are obviously not a small player uh very ambitious so taking a a, a segue to your slogan live your passion where does that passion and drive come from and what do you guys mean by that slogan yeah so for me passion is everything um 
we, 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 in the time where I'm just reflecting a bit now, because it's interesting that you asked this also, I'm reflecting that uh, when we went into the COVID crisis, after one year, it became clear that the mind of people changed and that companies started to have difficulties with keeping people, attracting people. Uh, that was becoming clear because people really felt into, uh, into a pause. And with that, they realized that they worked very hard. And that cycle uh, created a lot of danger in our industry because big companies pressure on people, see the supply chain disruption. But there are two constant challenges today in the industry, and that's people and supply chain. And why, are, why is that? Is that uh, most people, they were operating into companies without clear passion. And that passion, again, comes from engagement, being part of something bigger, and to feel when you do something, that you do it with your own drive. And uh, I still feel, although we have been going through the, the, the crisis, that people we have here, and I, I have a management team, let's say I have, to, I have to keep people around me of, of 12 people. Together, uh, the average stay in the company it's between, let's say, eight and 10 years. That's very long. But why are they still here? Because they have strong passion for this brand. They have a strong passion to make this brand uh, bigger and to let it grow. And that passion for me is coming back in the slogan, but even coming back in the daily culture. Every day when people go to work and listen, we all have difficult days and we all have difficult times. Even me in the morning when my, my alarm goes off at six o'clock, I think, tough. But I truly enjoy coming here. And I can see it also with the people around me. And we have an, a beautiful team that is developing the movements themselves in-house. So where other brands or the bigger houses, they have full teams, they use external. After 200 years, it's common sense that they're capable of doing it. The, 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 the brands that operate in our price segment are doing it more external because they simply need to gain the margin and they are not investing. We are doing it because we have that capability in-house. We have those engineers, we have the developers, developers who are doing it. And we have the beautiful three base calibers, 800, 700, and 900 series, where we are continuing to build on. And that helps us to continue to build new calibers, but also upgrade slowly the calibers we have. So I think it's a passion that comes in the slogan back in the brand, but also in the culture. And that helps to be unique and differentiate versus many other brands. That's lovely for me to hear because I think passion is also everything. And it's amazing that you guys have such a high retention rate of your, and I mean this respectfully, human capital, because that is everything. You've explained beautifully the three platforms, the three pillars of the base calibers in your 330 numbers of calibers. I want to speak a bit about the monolithic. You guys could easily lean back with your two families, so the 700, 900, and you're done. Why the heck did you guys push the envelope so hard and create it actually groundbreaking kind of because the monolithic is mind boggling and you guys are so modest that I don't think that half of the watch collecting community even understand what you guys launched. Can you please 
tell us a bit about the caliber, the watch, and what led up to the launch of this watch? Yeah, so if I knew <laughs> what I knew today alone, that when we launched almost two years ago, I might even consider it also differently. I might have done it differently. But that's that's always when uh, when the experience come comes back in asking what certain you have done certain things. The monolithic is uh, a very heavy development process. It's uh, it's basically when I'm telling I will explain a bit what it means because it's very technical. Every mechanical watch in Switzerland, let's say ninety seven percent of the mechanical watch, is Beating with a heart, uh, with a conventional assortment that uh, as a spiral, you see it back and forth, it turns into 300 degrees and it ticks between, uh, let's say, averagely with eight steps, 80 tiny ticks per second. That differentiates a bit a mechanical watch from a quartz watch. A quartz watch is just electronical driven by a battery and make one clear tick by second. That's why we say it, it takes an automatic movement with that assortment, 26 components, the beating heart of a movement makes 80 tiny steps per second. We already say that it walks on the dial. This conventional assortment has been regulating basically every mechanical movement for the past 200 years. It has been challenged here and there, much more in frequency of, of speed of that oscillator, of that balance wheel, but never really the, the, the conventional assortment itself until we came across to Flexus and NEMA, Dutch company owned the technical university based in, in Delft. And he told, told us, listen, we have an opportunity to replace that conventional assortment, 26 component, with one single silicon oscillator. And back in the time, Peter and me, Peter was still there and he called me and he said, Niels, I think we have something unique. And I felt and I hear all this voice that it was groundbreaking. And knowing that our brand, we always pushed hard for innovations because we are a young watch brand and a young watch brand need to differentiate themselves. That's how we are convinced by innovate. By innovation, you bring up automatically the credibility of your brand. People looking at it, the press value goes up. Press is much more easier to pick up innovative creativity instead of just followed product after innovation is done. Look at uh, look at the Tesla. He came up with a unique opportunity and it boom, it right away went to success. Of course, he had a beautiful product, but the innovation helped him to bring it up. And with that, you can mention many others. So Peter said, listen, Niels, we've always been pushing the brand by innovation. Let's go into this. So we went in it full with this development. It took us like two to three years to develop. And then we felt, okay, back in 2021, March, we are ready to launch. That launch in that time, we had to do it digital because it was fully into crisis, COVID crisis. We could not travel. And we had uh, basically a three product lined up, limited edition for, let's say, the coming 15 to 16 months. When we launched the product, we indeed didn't realize 
that it was so big. It was big in terms of innovation, but success rate, you cannot estimate. And you can only estimate when the sales comes up to measure that. And after that launch, we sold all the limited editions in one shot. And that confirmed me again, how important innovation is and how big this groundbreaking innovation was in that time. Today, we have eight people focused on it, pushing uh, the production. And it's a very heavy process because it's really completely different than the conventional assortment measurement. You need laser equipment that the watch industry was even not known about. So we had to uh, invent even the equipment that would help us to refine the project product. And that's, that's today still one of the most groundbreaking innovations done in the past years, let's say past decades in the industry. So we're very proud that we did it, but now we have to also make sure we continue with it. And that's the new chapter and that will be also revealed this year. So Niels, that is amazing. It's mind boggling. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I know you guys sold out because I'm still waiting for my personal monolithic. For, for our dear listeners, just to, to get you quickly up to speed if you're less familiar with calibers. So Niels explained it beautifully. Just to put it in perspective, the average of the mechanical watch calibers is a beating rate of 28,800 per hour, which means four beats per second. Fredical Star pushed that up tenfold. So we're talking about 40 hertz. That's 288,000 beats an hour. So it, it is so fast that you can't hardly see it with the eyes. Now, many tried. The most famous attempts were um, Guy Sermon, who teamed up with Jean Globivert, with LVMH. They launched the product in a Zenit Inventor, but they actually never brought it into production. So that watch is a concept watch today. I had an amazing Saint-Fin caliber by Parmigiani Fleurier. Never reached production, also caliber. So, Niels, how did you guys got this incepted, produced, and you're actually still producing them? And how long is the waiting list for our collectors listening to this show, if they want to obtain one? Yeah, so, uh, that you know, the, the, the good thing is that I'm humble enough to admit that sometimes we go too fast. So and when we launched in March 21, uh, we had like uh, limited editions of 810 pieces. And looking at the, that number, two times, 1,600 units, versus a concept watch, there's still something in the middle. We didn't expect to sell out so quickly. Um, so we should have had a much more limited edition that should not have been pushed our production that much and development uh, team. But nevertheless, we did it. Uh, the hit is that we are still delivering the watch. And we are very careful to secure the quality, uh, but also to monitor the process that we are in the middle now. And indeed, what you mentioned, the speed. Um, I have to correct you a bit. A four hertz is, um, is like eight steps by second. 40 hertz, what we are doing, is 80 steps per second. The eye can measure... 25 hertz, maximum 30 hertz. So 30, 40 hertz, we cannot see with the bare eyes. We cannot see the movement. So for us, the second hand is slightly smooth 
smoothly sliding over the dial. And that makes our watch unique. And many people say it's like riding a bike. The faster you go, the more stable it is, the faster a movement uh, moves. In this say, let's say oscillate, the potential more accurate it will be. And that's also still the challenge today is that we we have a we having a, the, the the movement stable, but by monitoring very carefully with the team and with the team from Flexus, we're really careful by delivering uh, by a month uh, between fifty to seventy five pieces to ensure the quality, the precision, the stability, but also to monitor how to improve constantly. So uh, we probably going to be through the back order, uh, let's say in medio May June, and from then we also uh, are going to introduce small batches again. So we're not going to go wild uh, like we did the initial uh, launch because we need to be careful with my team also. That's that's awesome and and, and mea culpa. Yeah, so I, I you count the back and forth, so. Um, it's actually amazing that you can't see everything above 25 with the bare eye. I had the honor to to try one on the C1, and, and it's and it's mesmerizing uh, because you do see something, and the magic is in the second's hands, like you said. It gives you a vibe of a spring drive by a, a psycho colleague, so a Japanese colleague, psycho. They, that That's a different concept where they slow down the beating, but here it's literally a ticking from a mechanical point of view. Can you say anything? What's next? I mean, where are you going to go from here? I mean, this seems like a, a zenith, a, a high point. Where can you go from here? Yeah, well, uh, you know, th- th- these kind of innovations uh, for me are, are when when you measure success, that that's the direction we want to go. Although uh, I'm not going to reveal anything. Uh, in specific, we can, we 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 can reveal that uh, that we are going to turn it into more the high life case in the coming year in the next launch. People really requested that they said, "Listen, it's a very classical driven watch with a very innovative uh, movement." So we would love to see it into the high life case, and they're right, of course. When we launch something innovative, we do it always DNA driven, classical. The brand is for uh, was for eighty ninety percent very classical. And uh, the next launch, people can 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 understand that we are going to do it in uh, in the high life case. But we are going to be very careful in numbers. We are not going to uh, to go crazy anymore with limited edition high uh, high limited edition numbers. I really want to don't push the team that much. We want to do it careful. Okay, that's great. Now you mentioned the high life. I would love to talk about the the families. So, what are the pillars? in the families of Fede Constant. Walk me through it, please, and what's their DNA? Uh, yeah, so basically we have three universes that are key. One is manufacture. Uh, it's our full manufacture capabilities. It's uh, very male-driven. Uh, all the innovations coming back there on manufacture complications. Then the second pillar is uh, High Life. High Life is more modern. It starts also on a more younger age. People connecting with that collection starting between 20 and 25 already. It goes up to even 50 years old, but the majority is between uh, 25 and 45 years old. The profile, it's the sport chic 
uh, environment we created that we didn't have before. So we started with this collection 2019. If you looked back in 2018, uh, the FH report, you could clearly see that uh, in that time, 80% of the luxury sales export numbers from Switzerland above 3,000 euro, 80% was driven by an iconic case design. Now we can name them all. Eh? You, uh, you have the Moser, you have the Parmigiani, you have the AP, you have Rolex, you have, uh, you have all the brands. But there was not really one brand in our price range who was delivering the same kind of look and feel, but more accessible in price. So for me, that was a, that was a winning move for the company to introduce that. In that time, I even had discussions with Peter Stoss, who said, listen, Niels, I would not do that. We're very classical as brands. You need to be careful. But looking at the sales opportunity, what I wanted to create is helping my existing customer who has like two or three classical watches. He should have been attracted to the new High Life. So he should still want to wear the High Life, but also keep his classical watch. But more importantly, the consumer that we didn't attract with the classical watch, we now could attract with the high life. So we enlarge the target group. And at that time for me, it was key to introduce that and to continue to introduce and to position the high life collection within the brand for the three to four years and to gain 35 to 40% of our business with that high life. And that result already much earlier. So last year we confirmed after three years that 45% of the business is driven by that high life collection. And then we have the third pillar and that's much more the volume that we have and you have the vintage rally collection and more a capsule collection that comes comes back in the, in the classical pillar we call that the classics and there you have quartz watches gents ladies more the volume but a very important collection that rep- represents almost 60 percent 50 to 60 percent of the business and that helps us to drive volume to constantly invest in innovations in our manufacturing collection So three collections, Manufacture, High Life, Classics. It's amazing to hear actually that the collection you guys maybe doubted the most and taking it into a more contemporary area is that successful. So congratulations on that. I'm not objective. I personally own a High Life and I I really love it. Um, On paper, it seemed maybe not that new or spectacular, but on the wrist, it's amazing. Uh, it's an integrated bracelet watch and it comes with a second strap. So I, I really enjoyed that watch. So congratulations to you guys and thank you for making it. How do the other two brands relate to Frédéric Constant? So please educate our listeners about Atelier de Monaco, which is more high-end. And could we say that Alpina is the smaller sister brand, the, the younger brother? Of the or how do they how do you position the three so the monaco has been born uh, actually by the idea uh, in with peter stas in the time but also pim kuslak pim kuslak who is the master watchmaker and has been heavily involved in our development of movements and the monaco was really more the brand where a conception of a movement started watchmakers were gathered together they were brainstorming about certain developments on the movement and it was handmade, implemented, and sold in very small quantities. You can think about five to ten pieces. More higher end, 
it starts with 10, 15,000 euro, uh, goes up to 100,000, 150,000 euro. When a movement was introduced in the more higher end brand, the Monaco, we started to investigate to simplify the movement and to prepare it for vertical start more in large scale production. So that's where you see the correlation a bit more between the Monaco and uh, Frederic Constant. Uh, Frederic Constant is typically uh, the bigger brand from all the three brands. It's it's leading the group. That's why we call it also the Frederic Constant group. Uh, Frederic Constant typically classical driven, what I just mentioned, uh, in the price range between 700, 600, 700 euro to 3,000 euro, 4,000 euro. But the strength is really between, let's say, 1,500, 1500 and, and, and 4,000 euro. And then we have Alpina. Alpina has uh, a much rich, richer history uh, as the, sp- the Swiss sport mountaineer watch. And a beautiful history, beautiful movements that we have a whole uh, collection here. And that brand is much more the sporty leg from the Frederic Star Group within the same price range as Frederic Star Operate. And I think that's an important uh, yeah, explanation I mentioned here. Many retail today struggle because many brands going to their own retail uh, groups are taking the brands out of retail. And we have, we have always been collaborating strongly with the retailers around the world. We have a network of two and a half, three thousand retailers together with all the three brands. And we have no intention to go to our own boutiques or we have no intention uh, to move out retail. Actually, we would like to strengthen the collaboration. And we have two beautiful brands that operate in a price range where today the retailer struggles because many brands are leaving. And Alpina, we have been pushing it very hard, uh, let's say the past five years on smartwatches. And the coming three years, including, let's say last year already, we started to be turning back to the end, the, the brand identity much more to horological, much more to automatics. And you've seen the bumper movement that is a manufacturer in-house developed movement that we did a small batch to also bring back a bit of history of the brand. And uh, Alpina will have uh, the extreme collection, what is an iconic design with a bracelet that is highly finished, starting price 15, 1600 euro. And that is, is going to be uh, the iconic case design for the years to come for the brand. And it fits perfectly with Frederic Constant for a retail, but also for a consumer that wants to have a sport chic or a classical watch, Frederic Constant, or really the extreme sport watch Alpina. Yeah, so that's amazing. So when I'm listening to your story, you guys created two brands and Alpina is an historical brand which you acquired. Am I correct to say that? Yes, correct. Yeah. So it's actually amazing how you guys see this uh, constellation of brands. But it could sound that Atelier de Monaco is a sandbox, a playground, a testing ground yeah. for the big brother Fericosan, but that's not the case, right? I mean, no, no. it's a standalone brand. You guys are retailers. You create a lot of unique pieces, I know. Collaborations. Uh, we, ha- we have like a uh, network of 20, 25 retailers uh, where we uh, uniquely develop unique pieces for the retailer in small batches to serve him, his customer, in more the high-end range, high-end finishing, handcrafted. And uh, and indeed, it, it created as uh, as an, a concept stage of movements for Frédéric Constant, but it became an, 
an high-end brand that is highly appreciated in a small uh, range of retail globally. And we are further developing in the years to come also the Monaco. And what price range uh, should our listeners think about when they listen? The Monaco? Atelier de Monaco, it starts around 10,000 euro all the way. This, the strength of the brand will be between 10 and 50,000 euro. And there you have like Perpetual Calendar, Tourbillon, Perpetual Calendar, Tourbillon, Chronograph in-house, the Poison de Genève, what is a unique seal with a high quality finishing uh, that has been stamped by the Geneva Canton, uh, what only a few brands uh, carry. So the brands really have like, have like the legitimacy, the credibility, to continue to push the limits more in the high-end range. And are they really based in Monaco? Uh, no, we're based in Geneva, but it started, it all started in the Monaco. What's well, in the name, right? Yeah, Swiss made it. Yeah. But it's Swiss made, Swiss made. Yeah, it's in the name, yeah, it's in the name, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and and actually we can we can dedicate a whole episode about uh, Poisson de Genève and and, and, Monaco. and that's actually what we ambition to do. So I, I kind of want to invite your, you and your team members back and do a dedicated episode about Atelier de Monaco and Alpina because they deserve it and there's a lot to tell and, and it's my excitement that I want to ask you a zillion questions. One that's burning. Do you guys sell your calibers to third-party brands or third parties? Uh, no. no. We don't do that. So we have uh, several questions about other brands in the past years. Even today they come even more. But we don't do that. No, we really keep it limited for uh, the in-house brands, uh, Frédéric Constant, Alpine, and the Monaco. So none of the citizen group brands can get the calories either? Today, no. No. But uh, th that might be changing in the in the future, eh? because I believe strongly uh, we are using the Jupiter movement. And Arnold & Son uh, is a beautiful brand, I have to say. And they have their own movements from uh, the Jupiter in-house movements uh, and their own brand movements. Uh, but of course, there is a synergy possible. It's very interesting to see, to bring those two together and to see what you can do. So I would say we will not go to external brands, uh, but interco brands like uh, like uh, the Swiss entities we have under the umbrella citizen, we might see some synergies coming up. Interesting. So we discussed the price points on Alpina and Tate uh, de Monaco. Um, you guys with Frédéric Constant are moving upmarket because you're making amazing calibers where do you see the brand going the next five years Niels? if you look at uh, the analysis the reports you can see uh, several financial reports like McKinsey where where the potential is it's it's our segment is a bit more squeezed so let's say the 500 to let's say 1500 2000 price segment is squeezed because of the economical turnaround in the whole world. Uh, we have a lot of challenges going on and we clearly see it's going to be challenged. Where the potential continue to be is above 3,000 euro mark export numbers. And we will not leave the price segment where we are today because that's strong for us. And one day the, the economics will come back. But we're definitely going to explore in the more higher end range with our own movements. So what you will see in the years to come is that we are probably going to launch, probably, I know for sure, in the coming uh, four years, seven to eight new in-house calibers. And we will see an upgrade of the movement. You see a different, uh, different power, reserves power reserve coming out, a different quality coming out. And that, that's really on the plan the years to come. 
Are we going to leave our price segment? No, absolutely not. We just go to uh, add justified more higher end uh, movements. That's amazing. Did you see seven to eight more calibers? Yeah, in the in the four years to come. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But I think we can uh, we can do miracles. We have shown and proven that we can, and and that's for me also the way to go. So it's a highly pressure for the team. It's a pressure uh, even for the retail to follow. But I'm convinced that this is the, the move we have to do with the brand. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Niels. What's your outlook on the total Swiss industry? Or even you can take it more global, taking it to a global watch industry. Well, what, what, what do you think are challenges and what are chances in the industry? And you've actually mentioned smartwatches. We didn't talk a lot about it. Do, are you guys letting that segment go? Or will we see developments there? Yeah, so uh, with that luxury angle, I do feel uh, that you have a few opportunities. And we are aiming uh, to join, to partner. We are going to join Watches and Wonders. What is very important for us, uh, because especially when you are going to launch new movements, that's the retailer that visits there that we would like to connect to. So Watches and Wonders is on the the schedule for uh, already this March 23. There we are going to list direction of the whole new year. Uh, the opportunity for me globally, and that's an interesting one, I see a few markets really popping up uh, where the mid-range is much more struggling. Uh, the bigger greater China, where the population rate is, is already going down, clearly there it's much more higher end driven. Countries like India, US, Mexico, Indonesia, we see clearly a huge opportunity in front of us for our brand. India, we have been doubling the business uh, last year, and we are going to double the business again next year. We have strong collaborations there. So that's clearly the opportunity I see. Smartwatches, we have been doing a lot in smartwatches. And in today's environment, if I want my company to be focused, we cannot operate in developing new movements, but also continue to develop new smartwatches. So... I decided in the years to come to slow down the development on the smartwatches and to focus really on the manufacturer development for the brands. So that's what you will see also in the years to come. Do you think that the mechanical watch industry has a dangerous road ahead or are you actually in that school of thought that it's great that they're connected watches out there because they educate the young generation to wear something on their wrist. Yeah, I've, I've uh, related to smartwatches. I've always been convinced that uh, the hard push that Apple did, it helps people remind of a watch. So yes, the industry has an impact, especially the price segment uh, below the five, let's say thousand euro retail. That has a major impact. People, if you go into a plane, 10 people, uh, you analyze 10 people's wrist. Four, three to four out of them wearing uh, are wearing an uh, Apple Watch. Is it going to be a threat for the mechanical watches? I don't think so. It, I think it has been proven that uh, overall smartwatches is difficult. Apple has such a force, such a power financially to push it, where others can't. And I think the Swiss industry uh, are focusing on developing and innovating on the mechanical uh, watches, but I think it's the right angle. And... Is it going to be a threat? I think we will go through waves with with downs and ups, like the history shows us. 
but it will always remain. And it will always remain something unique to have on your wrist. So I'm, I'm highly convinced that the Apple is helping, partly disrupting, but in the end helping. That's very interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Um, on that topic, we, we hardly discuss quartz. You guys obviously make also quartz watches. And that's immediately a bridge for me that what I love about Freddy Constant is you guys make lovely watches for ladies and actually have many different versions. How important is that segment for you guys? Uh, very important. If you go back to, uh, to the history of the brand, we have always been carrying uh, quartz watches in our portfolio. And, and we are celebrating the 35 years anniversary of the brand this year. So I can speak 35 years long. The, the quartz has been uh, dictating our brand portfolio. It also helps us to finance by volume constantly innovations we do in the manufacture. So we are continue with it. But I think the quartz overall needs, needs some innovation. Uh, and it didn't innovate for, for many years. Uh, and I think the industry has been challenged because of the smartwatch. And that's something good from the smartwatch. It has shaken up. It has disrupted. And it will shake up a bit more uh, that people, that brands need to innovate. So for us, it's an important segment, quartz. We always do uh, high finishing, high look and feel, but we have an entrance between 700 and 1,000 euro with quartz that is doing very well for us. Uh, and we will continue with that. Amazing. Niels, I know you're super busy and I really appreciate all the time you took to sit down with me on this show. I forgot maybe the most important question. What watch are you wearing today? Uh, <laughs> I cannot say because it's the launch of the watches and wonders that I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you it's a high-end piece uh, that uh, we typically uh, positioned in uh, in our brand mission. So it's going to be uh, accessible in price, but highly look and feel. Uh, and it's a unique movement that many people like. And we are going to launch that at Watches and Wonders, where we celebrate the whole year, our 35 years anniversary of the brand. And where later the year in uh, September, we probably, we even going to do a uh, new movement to celebrate uh, the 35 years anniversary. So, uh, I cannot say, but normally I'm wearing, uh, I'm, I'm wearing a wheel timer, uh, or I'm wearing the high life, uh, chronograph, but the Jupiter movement. Amazing. I congratulate you guys on your 35th anniversary. I can't wait to see you in Geneva during watches and wonders. Because I know we're going to meet up there as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing your journey. I hope to welcome you and the team back on the show very soon. Thank you. We will. I want to thank all our listeners. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player and like the episode. If you have any questions for Niels or us or the three brands he represents, reach out to them. It's either frederickconstant.com, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-Q-E-C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T.com, uh, Atelier de Monaco.com, or Alpina Watches, I think, .com. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, uh, yes, correct. correct huh? And Alpina is A-L-P-I-N-A. A, yes. Um, if you have any questions for Rob and I, you can reach us. You can either email Rob at Rob at the real time dot show or find him on Instagram at R O B N U D D S or you can email me alone at the real time show or find me on Instagram at A L O N B E N J O S E P H. 
Thank you so much and have an awesome day. And as Rob always ends the show, keep on ticking. <laughs>